Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about these things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking, longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, um, because she welcomes the spies was not killed with those who were disobedient and what more shall I say I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is God's word. Evening, everybody. Uh, let me add my welcome. My name is Phil. I'm the minister here at 5 p.m. If it's your first time here, uh, you've not been here for very much, a significantly shorter time than me. So uh, it's great to great to have you here, and look forward to meeting you afterwards. This is a big chapter, and it's one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. It would take about seven hours to do justice to this, and I figured it's a bank holiday weekend. <laughs> but I'm a man of mercy. (laughs) Um, If you promise to concentrate hard, we will try to rip through this in the same time as it would take us to look at three or four verses. So it'll it'll be a normal length sermon, as long as you concentrate hard. Any yawning, and I just go for another two minutes. Every yawn, two minutes. Let's pray. Father God, these are spectacular words. And the stories that lie behind them, the history that lies behind them, are are full of wonder and awe. And our Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would help us to learn these truths tonight. We pray that uh, a life of faith would not be a museum piece for us to study, but it would be a daily experience that we enjoy. Father, please, would you deepen our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and would you deepen our resolve to live for him as we look at his word together. Amen. Faith, according to Mark Twain, is believing things you know ain't true. 
His modern-day equivalent, Richard Dawkins, has famously said, the whole point of religious faith, its strength and chief glory, is that it does not depend on rational justification. And even some supposedly Christian leaders talk about faith as if it's a, this sort of slightly more fuzzy branch of knowledge. So, uh, two and two is four. I know that. In 1066, William the Conqueror invaded Britain. I know that. God exists. I have a faith about that. I believe it. But I wouldn't want to be too dogmatic and certain. Look, I'm not here to criticise other people's views. That's not what I think the point of standing up here on a Sunday is. But faith is a Bible word. And therefore, we need to allow the Bible to define what faith is. Not other Christian leaders, not our culture, not campaigning atheists. Bible words, well, the Bible has the right to define them. And whether you've been following Jesus for decades or you're just looking into all this Christian stuff, nothing in one sense is more important than working out what faith is. Because there's universal agreement that at the centre of what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, is faith. It is about faith in Jesus. So what does the Bible actually mean by faith? There are so many different understandings and misunderstandings of what it is. Well... We'll see that tonight in this wonderful chapter in Hebrews. We've, uh, if you're joining us, we've just got through the major theological section, the sort of meat of Hebrews. The writer's been delighting in the fact that Jesus is the final sacrifice for sins, which is basically, he's basically been telling us, look, Jesus has paid for everything you have done or could do or will do. So if you trust in him, you're completely forgiven now and forever. It's wonderful news. And in chapter 10, he said, this means that God is an open door to you. You have free access. You should be confident about coming to God if you trust in Jesus. So make use of that access and encourage each other to do the same. And then in the final verse of chapter uh, chapter 10 that we saw last week, he says, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. What does he mean by believe and are saved? What does it mean to, to not shrink back, but... To believe. Well, firstly, most fundamentally, we see from verses 1 to 2 and 39 to 40 that faith is an active trust in God for real things we can't see and promised things we don't yet have. I think if you look at the, the first two and the last two verses of this chapter, uh, so page 1209 and 1210, you see that they, they sort of match. They, they give us... Um, they do roughly say the same thing about what faith is. They teach the theory, if you like, and then the middle chunk is the practice, the examples. And there are two elements and one surprise. Look with me at uh, the first two verses. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Skip to the end, verse 39. These were all commended, same word, for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So at a fundamental level, you see faith is an active trust in God for real things that we cannot see and for future things that we don't yet have, promised things that we don't yet have. 
But do you see here, the surprise is that faith is not a less certain branch of knowledge. I was um, at the hairdressers yesterday. Do you know what I'm saying? I was at the barber, I'm a man. It was, um, uh, it was getting a haircut and uh, there was a guy sat next to me speaking very loudly on his mobile phone. It was like a Dom Jolly sketch. It was ridiculously loud. And he was having an argument with a business partner and he kept saying, don't tell me to have faith, I want something certain. He said it again and again and it was, I almost shook his hand and said, do you have any idea what I'm preaching tomorrow? But the, it... <laughs> That's the popular understanding. Faith is less certain. I don't want to have faith. I want to have certainty. Verse 1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is biblical faith. Trust in Jesus is not a watered-down version of knowledge. It is as sure and as confident and as bankable as anything else you know in your life. Faith is assurance in the Bible. And it's not passive trust, it is active. Faith can sound such a passive word, but as we go through this chapter, we will see it is an active, obedient, lifelong walking in God's ways. There is nothing sitting back and doing nothing about faith. So, let's uh, look through the meat of the passage together. Page 1209, chapter 11, verses 3 to 6. Faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. By faith we understand the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Firstly, faith pleases God. It's most fundamental level. Faith here is... Looking at the universe, the evidence of the existence of anything and concluding there is a God. But there's a lot more to pleasing God than just acknowledging he exists. And in one sense, I think verse 6 is the key to this little section. We're going to go pretty quickly. We're going to miss all sorts of things. Just put an asterisk on your sheet for, or write down the verse number of things you want to either ask afterwards or look up later yourselves. Um, but we just don't have time to go into everything in detail. So try and stay with me. So verse 6, jump straight to there. Why is it both Abel and Enoch please God? I think the key is here in verse 6. Now, Abel is particularly interesting. Um, You know the story of Cain and Abel, two brothers of Adam and Eve. Because Abel pleases God and Cain does not, and yet they both do exactly the same thing. Same action, different attitude, opposite outcome. So Abel uh, cuts the throat of a lamb, offers a sacrifice to God. God is pleased. He does it in faith. Cain offers a sacrifice to God and God is displeased. We're not told he does it in faith. Now Cain obviously believes God exists, otherwise why on earth does he sacrifice? If he doesn't believe God exists, he wouldn't bother wasting his crops on a sacrifice to a God he doesn't believe in. He believes God exists, so what does it mean that he didn't offer it in faith? 
we're not told explicitly, but I think verse 6 hints to us that what he failed to do was to trust God to reward. His sacrifice was just like all the other pagan sacrifices in all the other religions in history. Bribery. God, I'm giving you this, you owe me, now you give me. It's how sacrifice works in pagan religion. I'm giving this to you, you are now in my debt, you owe me what I want. That's not faith in God, that's faith in me. That's faith in my ability to win stuff from God. Cain's is the attitude that we all know in our hearts at times. I feel let down and cheated by God because I, I can't afford a house. I don't have the career I longed for or the partner I want. And I deserve it because I give faithfully to church every month. I, I lead a knowing God group. Do you have any idea how much time that takes? I've not been sexually disobedient in the face of all London's temptations. And yet you've not given me this stuff. Call me Cain. Faith is the opposite. Faith doesn't look to my actions to earn stuff from God. Faith trusts God you are good. And looks to his character, his generosity and his promises for reward. That's what Abel did. He offered in faith. He came to God confident that God, verse 6, was good and that he rewards those who seek him earnestly. That is why if you look in the New Testament, in uh, the book of Romans and Galatians especially, you'll see the opposite of faith is not reason. We're always being told that, aren't we? There's faith and there's reason. But in Romans and in Galatians, the opposite of faith is never reason. It is works. It's seen in, uh, what, do I, what do I say to God on judgment day as I face God and work out, how, what on earth do I say to him? If I say, I trust not in myself, I trust in Jesus, that is faith. The opposite to that, trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection to pay my way on judgment day, the opposite to that is not, I don't believe you exist, God, as he stands in blazing glory before me. The opposite to that is, God, I've done all this stuff for you. Trusting in me. The opposite to faith is not reason. The opposite to faith in the Bible is trust in me rather than trust in God. Okay, secondly, uh, faith is faith trusts what God says. The second set of characters show that a, a solid assurance, faith, is based on God's word. Verses 7 to 8. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir to the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Noah is warned about a future judgment. Abraham is promised a future inheritance. And in both cases, their faith is a response to a word that comes to them from outside it's not that uh, you know Noah's just very good at long-range forecasting, so he builds an ark. No, God speaks to him and says, I'm going to destroy the world, I will save you, build this ark. And it's not that Abraham says, I hear the Canaanites are a bunch of wusses, I reckon I can invade their land and give it to my descendants. No, God says, Abraham, get up, leave your town, and go to a land I will show you, which I will give to you as an inheritance. Faith trusts in God's word to us. That is what faith is. Look at verses 9 to 12. 
By faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who'd made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Cities a stone with a symbol of security in Canaan. Abraham lived in a tent because his security was not in this world. His security was in the promises of what God would provide And so he and his son and his son's sons lived in tents all their lives. And again, verse 10, the contrast is between relying on what we can do, what we can build by our might, and relying on what God will do by his promise. Not building our own city, but allowing God to build us a city. Uh, The point is then spelt out really in verses 13 to 16. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country. A heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Abraham and Sarah, his wife, and Isaac, their son, and the grandson Jacob, never owned more than enough land to bury themselves in, in Canaan. They lived without laying hold of any of it. But they lived as if God's word was true. And so they didn't return home and they didn't settle in other places. They treated the future promise of God as more solid than the bricks and stones of the cities around them. Now verses 17 to 22 make the same point. Uh, Faith means looking to the future and acting on it as if you could really bank on God's promises, as if you really can trust this God even if it means killing the only human hope of fulfilling those promises. It's what Abraham did because he trusted God. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. That is faith, what they do there. I mean, imagine, imagine your family has nothing. Um, you, you arrive as a refugee from Syria and Britain. And that's your, your parents arrive as refugees and you live in council accommodation, you're fed by the food bank, uh, your clothes are all donated to you. You don't own anything. 
your dad dies and lawyer phones up and says, um, would you come for the reading of the will? So pointless exercise, but you go to the reading of the will and he says, and to Phil I give Buckingham Palace, a majority stake in Apple and all the nice bits of Scotland. It's ridiculous. Not that there are nice bits in Scotland. There are lots of nice bits in Scotland. But how can you give stuff you don't own? You can't give in your will bits you don't own. But that is exactly what Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph do. The end of their lives, they pass on blessings, promises. They parcel out blessings that involve stuff they don't own. But they trust God's word. And so in faith... They bless, they promise, they give. They, they give instructions about where their bones should be buried in somebody else's back garden because they know in the future it will belong to their children. Okay, two things just briefly from these verses. I don't know if you've heard, sometimes these verses are called the Faith Hall of Fame. The truth is it's as much a hall of shame as a hall of fame. You read the Old Testament and you'll see that the people mentioned here were far from perfect. I mean, Abraham, the great hero of faith, is so trusting in God that he tries to pass off his wife as his sister and basically lets her get married to another man because he won't trust God to look after her. The guy's an idiot and he does it twice. His wife is so full of faith that when God promises, you shall have a child next year, she... (laughs) Sorry. Can you imagine doing that to God? Heroes of faith. (laughs) What this shows is when the Bible uses the word faith, it does not mean perfect faith. It doesn't mean unwavering faith that never has a moment of doubt. It is talking about faith as a fundamental loyalty to God. A fundamental direction of life, a fundamental obedience. It's not that you never trip up, it's not that you never wander, but that you are heading in God's direction. Not a perfect path, but a fundamental obedience to God. That is what faith is. If Abraham, if Isaac, if Jacob, if Joseph can be listed here, then even people like us can be listed as people of faith. Secondly, once you've come to realise that Jesus Christ is real and you've put your trust in him, You've put your trust in his death to pay for your sins and his resurrection to give you new life. Once you've done that, nothing is as important in one sense as working out which bits of this Bible are promised to me and which bits aren't. If a life of faith is a life trusting in the promises of God for things that are coming in the future and things I can't see, then which bits am I meant to to rely on? You and I need to learn to read the Bible very carefully. Uh, I used to um, rock climb. It was great. I finally found a sport that was good for skinny people. It was a delight. And the other great thing about rock climbing is it involves an enormous amount of expensive, jangly technical kit. As a bloke, that's just a dream. It was, it was just fantastic. There was immense amounts of money could be spent on, on things that you didn't really understand but that looked good. Uh, and um, one of the things you need at the start of rock climbing is a harness. Uh, the harness has a whole load of loops all over it. And when you read the manufacturer's uh, um, guarantee on the harness, it'll tell you the brake weight of, 
of the, the main harness that attaches you to the rope. Um, and the belay point, you know, it's usually something ridiculous like 500 kilos, which I've never got close to testing. And, you know, you think, great, this is fine. But the thing is, the harness also had a whole lot of other loops on it as well, which were for hanging all the jangly bits of equipment that you did or didn't need, but you always carried with you. And if you read the small print, you'd see that the brake weight on those little loops was about 10 kilos. Even I'm more than that. Very, very important not to mistake the manufacturer's guarantee for the main harness for what it wrote about those little points. I remember teaching uh, kids to rock climb one summer, and one of the other leaders, a well-meaning good guy, made a mistake. And he tied the rope onto one of the loops. It was a weird harness where the loops looked very like the main belay point. And if the kid had fallen... they would have died. He was a well-meaning guy, trying to do the right thing. But the, the simple fact was, that loop was never, never guaranteed to take the weight of a kid. And an awful lot of us, the sad truth is, we listen to books, we read books, we listen to Christian speakers or friends who tell us, you can rely on this promise from God. Well-meaning, often, lovely people, But if you rely on a promise that, when read in context, isn't really a promise for us to rely on here and now, then you and I will fall and we'll be badly hurt. And we see it time and again. It is so important that we work out which promises in the Bible are for me to put my weight on and trust God and which things are not designed for me to put my weight on. And it's hard work and requires careful study. But please, don't forego that. Don't end up disappointed or bitter with God because you thought he'd promised things and people told you he'd promised things and you found out he hadn't. If we don't get this right, then when suffering hits, we'll run away from God in bitterness and despair rather than running to him as our refuge and our rock. Well, thirdly, faith chooses present pain over future reward. And in one sense, this is the same theme that we've just seen of uh, trusting God for the future, but it's developed now. It's not just that I trust God for the future, but in these next set of stories, uh, we see that faith is willing to suffer now. And faith, when presented with the choice of, if I trust God in the future and it costs me now, or reject God and have an easy life now, faith says, I'll take the pain now for God's reward in the future. Look at uh, verses 23 to 31. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Well, every parent thinks their children are no ordinary child, but uh, what he means here is that they, they saw in Moses a child that they wanted to obey God over rather than obey the king's edict. And so seeing Moses, a beautiful child, they said, we will not obey the king, we will obey God. We'll act in faith. By faith, Moses, as he grows up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. 
By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. I think in many ways this is the hardest thing for us to grasp. That heavenly blessings will be bigger, richer and better than the things that we have here. There is no relationship on earth. There is no possession on earth. There is no experience you could have on earth that can compare with what God has in store for you in a new creation. Nothing. If you could just interview yourself after you have been in the new creation for five minutes, there is no question that you'll say it was worth it. It was wonderfully worth it. Don't be stupid, please. Just This is so good. You have no idea. Every sacrifice is worth it. There will be no question in our minds. Now, on this side, we doubt. But we will not doubt then. And if we're not clear on that, we'll never stand firm in suffering. Unless we're convinced that what God has prepared for us is better than anything we could give up now anything we could miss out now. We will struggle to obey God when the choice comes, obey him or have something I really want. Don't run from God, run to him in faith. Lastly, faith achieves great triumphs and endures great suffering. Verse 32, And what more shall I say? I do not have time. And like all preachers, he carries on anyway. To tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of swords, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. It's a bank holiday. There's nothing on TV. Why not usefully spend the morning going through and seeing if you can work out which Old Testament episode each of those things refers to. Stir your faith by reading through the the history of the Old Testament, seeing what God did for his people. And we want to be those guys, don't we? We'd all love to, to be involved in something that's so amazing that Christians write books about it. To, to see God act in miraculous power for the glory of his name in our day would be a wonderful thing. But then we get to the second half of verse 35. Others were tortured and refused to be released so they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. For God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us, 
would they be made perfect. The same faith does both. It succeeds and it suffers. It raises to life and it's tortured and it dies. Faith trusts in and looks to God, but faith does not guarantee a successful outcome in this life. Faith is not about getting success, as so often it's talked about, the key to getting what I want. Faith is about obeying God, and he gets to decide what happens. We're so quick, sadly, to marvel at the faith of someone who prays, and there's just an inexplicable healing. It's just everybody's, wow, it's just amazing. Uh, The faith they must have had to pray for that. But I hope we're just as quick to extol the faith of someone who suffers and it's miserable and painful and it goes on and on and on and on. And they cling to Jesus and through the tears they say, God is good. God is good. I might not feel like it right now, but I know he is good. He gave his son for me and I know one day, one day he'll wipe the tears from my eyes. That faith is just as awesome as the faith that sees a healing. Uh, Fourteen and a half years ago, there was a group of us that had been gathering, and by faith we'd been praying to start a new church in West London. And eventually we got um, consent for a building, and we're ready to launch um, on the last Sunday in January in 2000. And we turned up to find the church building, happened to be this building, blocked. Previous tenants had decided they didn't want anybody else moving into the building. By faith, we prayed on the streets and scattered. By faith, the Four Seasons Hotel gave us for free their chandelier, polished wood floor, mirrored ballroom for the launch of the church. And by faith, this church was established and it has flourished and grown. Eight and a half years ago, a group of us had been gathering by faith to pray about the planting of a new cipher summer camp. And eventually we found a site and were ready to launch in August 2006. But then at the last minute, the site cancelled. They told us that they had received more money for another booking and they no longer wanted us. Uh, We had to move to a new site 200 miles away, too far for lots of the teenagers to, to come to. By faith, we carried on praying for God to provide. By faith, we searched for a new venue the next year. And after having had to change dates twice and venues three times... Uh, the camp died because too many people had had to pull out. By faith we tried and we failed. We don't get to choose. Faith is not a way of guaranteeing success in this life. Faith is an attitude that follows God. And faith looks not for fulfillment right now. Faith trusts that God in the future will be proved good and will reward us greatly. God determines what will happen in your life. The question for us is, will we have faith? Will I follow this God? Faith trusts he is good when we rely on him and we see him do amazing things. Faith trusts he is good when everything I thought was going to happen just doesn't seem to be working out. Let's step back for a moment. One of the big things, I think, when you step back and say, okay, um, what, is, what, are the, what are the things we notice as we look at this whole chapter and panoramic vision, back from the top of the mountain? And I think the big thing that strikes me is that faith is not conceptual understanding. 
in this passage. Now, we often intellectualize faith. And it's not, as I've said um, before, that faith is dumb or that faith is uh, irrational. Um, that should be um, put to, to death by the, uh, the second from last chapter in John, where John writes this. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, John twenty thirty, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe, that you may have faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and by believing have life in his name. In other words, John said you should believe on the basis of carefully researched reliable evidence. There is Faith is not stupid, and faith requires us to have our minds convinced. But the proof that your mind is convinced is that you act on it. This chapter is full of people who left home and went who changed sides in the battle. People who acted on God's promises because they trusted him. People who were willing to lift up a knife because they knew that God would do what God had promised. Uh, I'm not sure if you know what the technical term for a tightrope walker is. A funambulist. There you go. I thought it was quite interesting. Um, there we go. Uh, I'm fun at a dinner party. The um, a funambulist. The greatest funambulist of all time was, of course, um, the little Frenchman Blondin. And his greatest feat was on the 30th of June, 1859. He walked across the Niagara Falls on a 345-meter line. Extraordinary act. He then did all sorts of crazy things. He, um, uh, he stopped halfway along. Uh, he lowered a rope, pulled up a small stove, cooked an omelette. He did all sorts of weird things. Um, and at one point he went across with a wheelbarrow with 150 kilo weight in it, got to the other side and said, who thinks I can take a person across in the wheelbarrow? The entire crowd sh- screamed, of course you can, of course you can. Who's going to get in? <laughs> Silence. Faith doesn't just cheer from the sidelines. That's not faith. Faith is getting in the wheelbarrow. Faith doesn't just sing my heart out on a Sunday night about Jesus and all the things I really believe about him. Faith faith gives money to the gospel on Monday when I'm not sure I can afford to. Faith refuses to exaggerate for the client or lie to cover my boss, even though I know this is not going to go well. Faith talks to my friends and colleagues about Jesus, even though they are just not the sort of people who would ever believe in Jesus. And like everybody else, I genuinely don't want to be mocked and rejected. Faith is an active trust in God. For real things we cannot see, that is God, that he is powerful. And for promised things that we do not see, that is that he will reward us and it will be wonderful. The last thing I want to say is stop thinking about faith. And you may be thinking, don't worry, I really don't ever need to be told to stop thinking about the sermon. I'm very good at that. It's fine. Once it's over, I'm done. Uh, That's not what I mean at all. I'd like you to keep thinking about the sermon. I'd like us to to talk and pray and wrestle with what it will mean to obey God in the week to come. But the focus of our talking afterwards should not be faith. You see, the problem is, when we think about faith, 
inevitably, the focus tends to go on to how much faith I have. It goes on the quality of my faith. Is my faith good enough? Or the quantity of my faith? Do I have enough faith? But the focus is almost never there in the Bible. It's interesting. The Bible talks about faith in enormous amount. And and apart from a tiny couple of references, it almost never talks about more, uh, more faith, less faith. It talks about faith or lack of faith. Why is that? It's not that we don't need more faith. It would be great to have more faith. It's this. When we think about, have I got enough faith? Or is my faith the right sort of faith, strong enough faith. The focus changes from trust in God to trust in me, bizarrely. We end up trusting not in, is God powerful enough, but do I have enough faith? One is looking to God, the other is looking to me. And the old cliche is true, we don't need great faith in God. We just need faith, any faith in the great God. It's like flying on an aeroplane. I'm not a nervous flyer. Uh, I simply lack the imagination uh, to to think about what might go wrong. And I have this stupid trust in technology. He's wearing a uniform and he says everything's fine. (laughs) Idiot. But there we go. Uh, But I have friends. I've been on holiday with a group of friends. uh, uh, One of whom pretty much has to be medicated um, to get on a plane. But here's the thing. It doesn't make any difference. It's not like the pilot who's taking us to paradise needs you to have a certain amount of of trust in him for for it to work. You know, otherwise, well, you only make it halfway across the Atlantic. It doesn't matter whether every twitch jolts and the sound of the ailerons has you in a nervous panic or you fall asleep watching the movies. It really doesn't matter. All you need is the basic act of faith to get on the plane. That's all. And this passage is not here to beat us up. You lousy Christians, you're nothing like Abraham, and you are nothing like Sarah, and you are nothing like Isaac. They were so much better than you. Last week's passage was pretty convicting and painful. But this passage is designed to encourage us. Look at what God achieved with a bunch of idolaters, adulterers, deceivers, prostitutes, murderers, and cowards. Look at what he achieved with a bunch of people whose faith was wavering and full of struggle and at times doubt. They were willing to get on the plane. They put their trust in this God and look at what he did. You can trust this God. Right here, right now. You can trust him with your finances. You can trust him with your desire for a relationship. You can trust him with your career. You can trust him in the face of death and God's judgment. Even if you don't get what you want now, you can trust this God. Because he has something better planned. So that only together will we be made perfect with them. And if you and I will do that, if we'll trust this God, if we'll have that fundamental faith to follow him, then we can have a legacy too. These men and women left a legacy as they lived by faith, following God. Verse 4, though dead they still speak, and the same, not quite the same, but similar can be true for us. We won't be written into a new Bible. But wouldn't you love to have a, a life that matters? 
Wouldn't you like to leave a legacy in the lives of other people? Not something that looks significant from this world. I walked through Brompton Cemetery and there are some enormous, impressive monuments where the writing is totally faded, forgotten after a hundred years. But wouldn't you love to live a life where, from the standpoint of eternity and in the eyes of God, it mattered? It made a difference. It was valuable. It was worthy of his reward and his commendation. A life that amounts to something. Follow him by faith. Serve others by faith. And see where he will lead you. And you and I can do that because Jesus has died to forgive us for even our lack of faith. And he has promised to look after us. And he has sent his spirit to strengthen even our faith. And he will bring you safely to his eternal paradise. Just get on the plane. It's exciting when you see where Jesus might take you. Let me pray. Father, we are sorry that we lack faith, that in spite of all you've done in the past, in spite of all that you've done even in our lives, we struggle to trust you in the day-to-day nitty-gritty. Forgive us, we pray. And please would you change us. Please would you encourage us that just as these men and women of old found they could trust you, that we can trust you too. Amen.